Happy Easter. We're thankful you guys are here with us today. Um, you know, as we we think of the week of Easter, I don't know most of you, I, I grew up in church, and so I can remember, uh, you know, kind of building up to that Sunday in, in two ways, really. One was you were building up to that Sunday to remember what Jesus did for you. One was you went and bought nice clothes and, and an Easter basket. I mean, those were the those were the things you did when I was growing up. And so that became part of the tradition. Uh, apparently, I forgot the nice clothes today, um, so I apologize. But, um, but as I was thinking through, I remember, I didn't, growing up, we didn't talk about it. And I think it was probably when I met Judy's mom was the first time I ever heard the terminology, Maundy Thursday. And I thought, what does that mean? You know, I mean, I never... I, that wasn't something we talked about growing up. Maybe it did at church, but I was ignoring it or not paying attention or something. But, but I didn't know what Maundy Thursday meant. And so as, I, as I've grown and I've studied and I've begun to understand a little bit more of the story of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, what I want us to do today is we're going to start on Maundy Thursday. And I really... In the Old Testament, it talks about in the book of Nehemiah that they stood for half of the day and read the Scriptures. Now, I'm not going to make you stand and I'm not going to read them for half of the day. But but I do want to just read the story. And I'll give a little bit of comment, but I want us to, to hear the story again today. So it says this. This was on Wednesday, actually. It says that Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. So one of the twelve has now gone to the Pharisees and said he would betray them. And it says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where may I, I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. The Passover. So as, as, we, as we think about the Passover, see today we look back and we say Maundy Thursday was a very somber time. But this would not have been a somber time for the disciples. This is a time of remembrance of how God provided for the nation of Israel. During the time that the nation of Israel was in captivity to Egypt, there came a point in time where God said, I'm going to take my people out. And if you watched the Ten Commandments yesterday, you'll know that there were ten plagues. And leading up to that tenth plague, the last plague was, God took the life of the firstborn of everyone in Egypt. From the animals to the Pharaoh. And he said, if you don't want your firstborn to die, what you have to do is you sacrifice a lamb, and you take the blood and you put it on the doorpost, of your home. And when the death angel comes, he will pass over your household 
and, and not take the life of the firstborn in that household. So when they're celebrating the Passover, they're celebrating God's provision and God's salvation for them, taking them out of the nation of Egypt. And so the disciples aren't thinking through, this is going to be the last Passover we're with Christ. They're not thinking through, this is our, our, our bad day is coming. They're thinking, this is a time of celebration. So they're saying, hey, where do you want us to go prepare? And he tells them exactly what to do. He says, when it was evening, he came with the twelve... And as they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful. And to say to him, one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it is the one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So they, they're there for an exciting time. They're there to celebrate. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, one of you are going to betray me. And they're going... Now, the people I know, people I've grown up around, it would be easy for us to point out, oh, yeah, I know it's going to be him. <laughs> you know, you, you, you kind of go... You don't really suspect yourself. But every one of them are going, is it I? I mean, they all realize and understand that they could do this. Now, Judas is sitting there knowing he's the one. But in the midst of all of this, he doesn't come out and say, well, that's me. And Jesus tells, in the, in the Gospel of John, it seems like he tells just John, hey, it's the one who dips with me. So John knows that it's Judas, but he still doesn't know what that really means, that he's going to betray him. It's just kind of part of the whole situation that's going on. And then Jesus says this, and it says this, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Now, those of us who've been in church all our lives, this becomes something we're familiar with. But these disciples had broken bread at the Passover meal all their lives. And never had anyone said, take this bread and eat it because it's my body. So Jesus is throwing out some, some kind of crazy things for the disciples to think about. One of you are going to betray me. and This is my body. Take and eat. And then he says this, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom. He says, You know what? Not only is this my body, this is my blood. Take and drink it. as the disciples were, were pondering this and trying to figure out what all this means, in the Gospel of John we're told, and in Matthew we're told, that the disciples get up and they leave this room that they're in and they're going to go out to the Mount of Olives. And Mark tells us this, And when they had sung a hymn, 
they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. Now I can remember one time as I was studying this, I thought, what? It says they sang a hymn. Now I grew up singing hymns. I can almost tell you uh, chapter, I mean, page number for just about any hymn you name in the Baptist hymnal. But what hymn were they singing? They were singing what is called the Hallel, which is Psalms 113 to Psalm 118. And they would start singing at the beginning of the week and the last day of the Passover when they celebrated the Passover lamb and they ate the meal, they sang the last few verses of Psalm 118. And we're not going to look it up today, but when you get a chance, look it up because the very last verse is a song we sing a lot of times when we're talking about Sunday mornings. We sing, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And Jesus is singing this with His disciples the night before He's crucified. He's saying, this is the day. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus, who for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And I used to think that that meant He was looking beyond the cross to heaven. That I can just endure for these next few days. I'm going to be back with my Father and it will all be great. But then I read a commentary that said, you know what, no, it's not that. The joy set before Him is the cross. That by going to the cross, two things brought Him joy. He was being obedient to His Father. And He was providing a way of salvation for you and me. That's the joy. Was it joyful that he, what he went through? Not at all. What you see is right after this, he goes to the garden and he's praying and Judas shows up with the crowd and they arrest him and all the disciples run. And he's taken and he's tried overnight in two or three different trials. And then he's crucified and, and, and these disciples have all scattered everywhere with the exception of two of them. Two of them come back, Peter and John come back and witness the crucifixion. But what does that mean? He's told them several times, I'm going to go and I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise again. But, you know, yeah, right. They haven't believed anything else they've said so far. And even they did. What does that mean? I'm going to rise again. You know who believed him? Or at least believed that it could possibly be true? The guards. Because <laughs> the guards went to Pharaoh. I went to, to Pilate and said, Hey, he said three days later he's going to rise again. We might want to seal off the tomb. Just to be safe. You know, part of it is they say, Well, his disciples may come and, and grab him, but you know, let's let's just be safe. They at least heard it. The disciples think about this. Have you ever lost a loved one? 
The day it happens is the weirdest day. Because you go through grief, you go through this, this feeling of that can't be real, it's, it, this, this can't be true. You're kind of in this fog, in this numb feeling. Because you keep thinking, maybe tomorrow I'll wake up and, and it won't be true. And so these disciples now, he's gone and he's been crucified. What do we do? Seems kind of bleak. And they've got to wait all day Saturday because there's really nothing they can do because it's, it's um, the day of preparation. It's all, that's their Sabbath. They can't go out and do anything and check on it. They can't go check on him. So they're fearful for this day and a half. What is going to happen? Even the morning that he rises from the dead, where do we see the disciples? They're cowering in the same room where they had the Lord's Supper. And they're afraid they've got the doors locked and they don't really want to go out because, hey, if he was captured and crucified, we can be too. And so they're, they're fearful and they're hanging out in this room. And Mary goes to anoint Jesus' body for burial. And she gets there and there's no body. And she's still not believing what's going on. She thinks, well, somebody came and took his body. What's going on? And Jesus says, no, Mary. I told you this was going to happen. What I need you to do is go back and tell the disciples. And let them come and see. So she runs and she tells the disciples. And you know who believes her? Not all of them. Two of them. Peter and John believe her. And they run to the tomb. And even that, they're not sure. They believe her that, that the body's gone. They don't know. They still don't believe in the resurrection. But they run to the tomb and they realize there's nobody here. And they go back and they're beginning to process some of it. And they're sitting in the room again and Jesus shows up. Now, that's what we celebrate. But as we think about that, throughout the Old Testament, and today, I'm going to give those who are being baptized a rock. You say, well, that sounds fun. Why are you giving them a rock? Because in the Old Testament, in Genesis, we see Jacob, and Jacob leaves home. And he lays down out in the middle of this field as he's traveling, and he has a dream. And in this dream, there's this ladder that goes from heaven to earth, and angels are going up and down on it. Now, my first thought is, what did I eat last night that's causing me to dream this? But, but he... He recognizes that God's teaching him something and he gets up the next morning and the rock that he has been using as a pillow over the night, he takes and he makes an altar to remember this is the house of God. Then later on, God tells him, hey, go back to Bethel. Go back to where you were and give up all and follow me. And we see the, the nation of Israel, when they're getting ready to take over the land of Canaan, they go across the Jordan River. What do they do? They take rocks 
out of the middle of the Jordan River and they build an altar that says, God took care of me. I'm not giving a rock to people so they can have a rock. I'm giving a rock that says, I want to remember. I want to remember what Christ did for me. Because you know what? It's easy for us to do just like the disciples. It's easy to read something in here, be excited about what it tells us, close this and go to work or school and forget everything we just read. The disciples heard it over and over and over again. And they forgot. Now, we all have good memories. There's not anyone that's going to be baptized today that later on, unless something bad happens, they're going to go, oh, did that ever happen? No. They're going to remember it. But the point of the rock is focusing our memory. Over and over again in Scripture, we're told to remember what the Lord has done for us. We're to remember. Because this is remembering what the Lord has done for us. Jesus said, whenever you do this, do this in what? In memory of me. We don't do this because Jesus needs to be sacrificed every time we do it. He was sacrificed once for all. Brian read that. The sacrifice has been paid. We don't have to pay anymore. No more lambs have to be slaughtered. Nothing else has to happen. Jesus paid the debt for us. So my question today, as we celebrate Easter, as we are thankful for all that God has done for us, what do you need to remember? What is the one thing that maybe you've kind of let slip? You know, maybe COVID has, has been hard. And you've forgotten that the Scripture says, cast all your cares on Him and He'll care for you. Maybe you've been through some rough, rough patches lately and it's hard to remember that my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches, glory in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've begun to say, you know what? I know I committed my life to the Lord, but I'm just not sure I really like Him right now. And I'm not real sure I like everything that's going on, so I need to remember that I made a commitment. That I made a covenant with Him. What are you needing to remember today? You're not getting a rock. But what do you need to remember? What is God telling you on this Easter Sunday? It's not remembering where you hid the eggs. It's remembering what Christ has done for you. What you've committed yourself to do for Him. Because there are going to be times when it's not fun. There are going to be times when it doesn't seem like it's even the right choice to make. We go back and we look at the rock. The problem is, as you look through the Old Testament, everything that was given to remember what God had done eventually became an idol. 
they eventually said, man, isn't that a beautiful rock? The rock's not the issue. The pillar of rocks weren't the issue. The snake, the bronze snake on a pole was not the issue. The issue is the king of kings that we just sang about. The Lord of lords. That's the issue. This is just that little reminder of what he's done for us. Let's pray.